If you haven't already, open your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40 will be our text today as we look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, continuing our sermon series, Acts, the Spirit, the Church, and the World. If I were to ask you to share some stories about your dad today, it's Father's Day, I imagine most of us could, many of us would, and it'd be a fun conversation, wouldn't it? You know the way conversations go, give and take, back and forth, like playing catch. You tell a story about this happening with your dad, someone else tells a story about something similar or something different. You know, my dad used to fill in the blank. When I was a kid, my dad fill in the blank. When he was a kid, and these are the really fun ones, what our dads were doing when they were ornery little boys, my dad used to, did you believe it? I love it when my dad, or maybe your dad wasn't in your life, or maybe your dad wasn't the best dad, and you've got stories too. We've got to recognize that on Father's Day, but we talk about things we love, We talk about things that hurt us. We talk about things that have shaped our view of life. Things that hold our interests, things that challenge us. We talk about those things. God made us for relationships. God is three in one. He said, going way back in Genesis, let us make man in our image. In our image, we will create him. And we know man were made men and women, and so it's a spiritual image of God. But then, what did he do from the very beginning? He had Adam, but he made Eve, someone like him, to be in relationship. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth that they might have families. God made us for relationships. He made us to share in those relationships our stories, our endpoints, our, our, our insights, our viewpoints, our thinking, our passions, our love. He made us for relationships. Yet, as Christ followers, we're not only made for one another, we're made for eternity. Because the image that God put within us is an eternal image. And we know that all of us have a soul that will live forever. And that soul is going to live forever in heaven or in hell, depending on the choice that we make now. That soul will be judged according to God's perfect standard, not according to I'm better than the next guy. And without Jesus to save us from our sins, our sins will condemn us to eternity apart from God. Yet, all of us here have that opportunity All of us here have that opportunity. Maybe you have already at some point in your past trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. Maybe that will be today. But our text today reminds us of God's love. It reminds us of the fact that we should tell of God's love and that we should be obedient to God's love. And so our scripture memory verse for this month takes us there as well. It's Acts chapter 8 verse 4 and let's say it together. Acts 8 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Acts 8.4. This is from our sermon from last week as we see Philip going out and the first one whose story is told is he went to Samaria and he preached the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus saves sinners. Our passage today has seven different points, and we'll go through them pretty quickly, and we have five different application questions as well. But it starts with this principle, and that principle is at the top of your sermon outline, and it says, as we are going through 
life, Christ followers must share the good news. That's the gospel that Jesus saved sinners. And evangelism is the biblical word, kind of a fancy highfalutin sound of word, meaning literally to share the good news. So when we talk today about evangelism, we mean sharing the good news. What is the good news? Jesus saved sinners. And hopefully you've been saved and you know the good news in your life and you're willing to share it in the lives of others. So let's read together our focal passage today. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you do so as we read Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through the end of the chapter, verse 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he made an, met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all that was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. He who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders for the stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip was baptized. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May God add to the reading of his word. You can be seated. Thank you. This is another one of these Acts stories, right? An Acts story, what I mean by that is something miraculous happens. Something happens that makes us go, hmm, why did it go that way or what did that mean? And something else happens that makes us go, wow, that's pretty amazing. Why can't it be that way in our life? It's one of these Acts stories and what it teaches us is about effective evangelism. And that's your seven points on your outline today. And we'll put them on the screen there for you. Effective evangelism number one begins with obedience. Effective evangelism begins with obedience. So remember Philip, if you look back in Acts chapter 8 from verse 1 and following, Philip is in Samaria. Philip's got this preaching ministry where he is doing miracles, casting out demons. Everybody in the whole town is coming to hear him and listen to him. He's a pretty popular dude right now. Philip could have got full of himself and said, yeah, I'm really something. Not unlike Simon the sorcerer who said, I'm the great, and everybody followed him and said he's the great. So Philip had this good thing going in Samaria, but he was willing not so much to be hung up on himself because he knew it wasn't him. He knew it was the Holy Spirit within him, but to do exactly what God called him to, to be humble in his obedience. And so you see there in verse 26, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip is in Samaria, north of Jerusalem, 
God says to him very specifically, I want you to go to this road, the road that ran not along the coast, but the road that ran inland through the desert. And so he would know what this road was. Go to that road. That's all God tells him. Sometimes God calls us to go places or do things that we don't know the end goal. All we know is that God called. And if God calls, he will lead. And as God calls, he will provide. And that's what we need to remember. And that's what Philip did there. He demonstrated his obedience. God calls us to obedience. And check this out. Our obedience opens the door for God's greatness. Our obedience opens the door for God's greatness. Our obedience even welcomes God's miraculous. Because when we obey, we're humbly submitting ourselves to God. We're saying, God, I can't, you can. What are you going to do in this situation, God? How are you going to change the minds? How are you going to change the hearts? What miracle are you going to do? So as we're going through life as Christ followers, we've got to share the good news. Obedience is our first step. Our second step on your outline there, we get that in verses 27 through 29, is effective evangelism overcomes obstacles. Effective evangelism overcomes obstacles. Now, remember, evangelism is our fancy church word for sharing the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. Look at what happened there in verse 27. So he started out, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. Now, a couple things we've got to talk about here. First, the dude's from Ethiopia. Ethiopia, in Bible terms, was actually kind of what is now southern Egypt and northern Sudan, not actually Ethiopia as we know it on our map today. But the other thing is that he was an important man, an important official, and a treasurer in charge of all the money in the court of Candace. So Candace was actually the name of the Ethiopian queen. Instead of calling her queen, they called her Candace. So it wasn't a specific person, but that he was in charge of all that. And then it says he was a eunuch. Now, we won't go into details about what that means. Not every person known as a eunuch in that day was actually a eunuch, but generally, for whatever reason, court officials were eunuchs, so even if they hadn't been made a eunuch, they still might have been called that, kind of like you call Kleenex Kleenex, even though it might be another brand of tissue or something like that. So there are these things about this guy, and he's the treasurer in charge of all the finances. He's like the minister of finance, right? This guy is a person of means because he had gone to Jerusalem, it says, to worship. And then, verse 28, on his way home, he's sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. There weren't a whole lot of scrolls available back in then. You had to have some means to make a trip from Ethiopia, southern Egypt, or northern Sudan, to Jerusalem. You had to have some means to have a chariot in which somebody else is driving, because I don't think you can drive a chariot and read a scroll at the same time. Not to mention later when he invites Philip to sit with him and read while the chariot's going down the road, presumptively. And so this is a man of wealth and means. And then the other thing we know about him, or at least conjecture, is, well, what was it about him that he went to Jerusalem? Was he born as a Jewish person? Or what, did he convert to Judaism? Was he a black man as opposed to a Jewish man? Most probably so, if he's that high official in the court of the queen of the Ethiopians. And so here we have this story about this man, a man from another country, a man of a different race, who's come to Jerusalem to worship, and God, in his sovereignty, puts Philip right there. Philip, in his obedience, does exactly what God says. 
Verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The obstacles that were overcome here was there was a chariot that's going down the road. Was it supernatural that Philip is jogging down the road beside him, or does he have superpower and he's sprinting like a superhero? I don't know. There's an obstacle of race there. Philip could have gone, dude, this guy's this black guy from Ethiopia. I don't know if we even speak his language, and maybe I've got some prejudice against him. That wasn't an obstacle for Philip either. There was a religious obstacle that this guy had one religion probably he grew up with. He's studying about Judaism. He's come to Jerusalem, but Philip now is a believer in Jesus. Then there's that obstacle of culture. All those things all together that Philip is willing to overcome because he's going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit who calls him to go there. Our obedience perseveres through obstacles. Our obedience doesn't give up. Great things need great effort. And many times, even though God calls us and God will provide for us, we've still got to be willing to say yes. We've still got to be doing to, uh, you know, willing to keep saying yes. Day after day, week after week, month after month, persevering in our obedience. So many times, obedience isn't just a one and done. I was in a premarital counseling session just the other day, and I was talking with a couple about the fact that, yes, you are going to make a commitment on this stage here at Southview Baptist Church in front of God and everybody. But that's not just the only time you say I love you. That's not the only time you say you're committed to one another. Your commitment as a husband and wife is day after day. Choosing by an act of your will to love that person. Not in a romantic, oh we had a beautiful wedding day love. But in a I'm committed to this person forever because I believe God gave them to me to complete me. It's an act of the will that goes on. Our obedience to Jesus is the same way, an ongoing act of the will. And as we're going through life, Christ's followers must share the good news as obedience. Whatever we do, we should work at it with all our heart. I can do all things through Christ who works through me. We can overcome any obstacle if we're willing to be obedient. The third thing on your outline here, the third thing that effective evangelism follows the Holy Spirit's preparation follows the Holy Spirit's preparation. Now, verse 30, one verse, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? Where do I get follow the Holy Spirit's preparation out of that one? The dude was reading the Bible at that day and time. And the dude, as we see in the next verses, wasn't just reading any verses. He was reading what we call the Suffering Servant Psalms. There are three different uh, chapters in the book of Isaiah and portions of those chapters that very specifically say, here's what's going to happen to Jesus in his suffering. And that's exactly what the Ethiopian was reading. Do you see, even though he had obstacles to overcome, how God ordained it? God said, go to this road. God said, be right here. God had the Ethiopian eunuch reading just the right thing. And supernaturally or however, Philip's running along beside him, and he asked him this question, do you understand what you're reading? God, by the Holy Spirit, had prepared this man for this encounter. I would assert to you that we often miss out on opportunities to share the gospel because we don't take the first step. We don't ask a question like, Philip, do you understand what you're reading? Have you thought about what's going on in your life? Questions keep conversations going. 
Questions can open conversations. Questions can sustain conversations. And so maybe we just need to learn to ask better questions. Maybe we need to get over our shyness or whatever because we know the gospel and the eternal need of salvation of the person we're talking to is more important than our own pride or what we think about ourselves. And we need to ask questions, follow-up questions, clarifying questions, searching questions, open-ended questions, 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 questions. Do you understand what you're reading? What do you think God might be doing that in your life? There's a lot of things I love about Pastor David, but one thing I love about Pastor David is that he asks good questions. This guy thinks about how to ask questions. He studies on how to ask questions. Have you been in a lesson before and he asked a question and you're like, dude, I never thought about that one before. We can learn about asking good questions from Pastor David, but all of us have it in us by the Holy Spirit. We just need to think about it. Take the opportunity to share the gospel. Ask, enter in, go through the open door. See how the Holy Spirit is already prepared. You might be surprised by what the person has already thought, by what the person is already at. This guy, the Ethiopian unit, was a seeker. Everyone we know no matter how hard they might seem on the outside, no matter how close they might appear to the gospel, has thought about God, has thought about life, has thought about eternity, has thought about their purpose. I had an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody recently that I wasn't sure they were saved because it was like the first time I had a heart-to-heart conversation with them. And this person, who you would think was like this hard person, you could look at them and see they live life hard, and you knew they'd made some bad decisions. That was part of the reason they're talking to me as a pastor. This person had thought all those questions. They had thought about what happens when I die. They had thought about the things I heard about a couple times I went to church as a kid. Are they true? They had thought about, is Christianity the way versus all the other religions in the world? This person that looked so hard and so callous from the world was tender and open to the gospel for me to share. God had prepared this person's heart. Who do you know that God's at work in their life? Maybe it's you. Maybe right now today you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe it's your heart that is ready. God has already been at work wooing you and challenging you and teaching you and convincing you and convicting you and loving you and drawing you to Himself, persuading you, convincing you by His Holy Spirit. As we go through life, Christ followers, we've got to share the good news, the fourth point. On your outline today is that effective evangelism engages conversation. It engages in conversation. We already had my talk about questions there. That Ethiopian eunuch says there, well, how can I know unless somebody explains it to me? Verse 31. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Presumptively, the chariot's still riding down the road. Somebody else is driving it. It's a good-sized chariot. Not unlike a a modern minivan or something like that. Not a sedan. Not a two-seater. These guys are in it together. And as I said, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading this passage of Scripture that's in verse 32 and 33 that's about Jesus and His suffering. Matthew and Mark applied that passage to Jesus' healing ministry and what He would do. Luke has already, in his gospel, applied it to the suffering of Jesus at the cross. And then, by God's providence, Philip begins to speak there. Notice verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please about what the prophet is talking about. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. When we obey God, we overcome obstacles. 
we rely on the Holy Spirit. We see that we have regular life-giving gospel conversations with people. And we share the gospel. The fifth point on your outline is that effective evangelism draws the focus to Jesus. Effective evangelism draws the focus to Jesus. Because when you have a gospel conversation with somebody, where do you start? You start with their life. You start with their questions. You start with their worries. You start with their fears. It's a conversation. If you just dive right in and say, let me tell you about Jesus, they might go, whoa, wait a second. But if you start where they're at, and by questions and conversations and time and relationship, then you draw the focus to Jesus. Look at verse 35 there. What does it say? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture where the eunuch was at and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, this is a summary statement. We don't know how long their conversation lasted. We don't know, are they still rumbling down the road in the chariot? We don't know if they've stopped to pull off. But we can ascertain from what happens next that it was a long enough passage, or passage of time that the eunuch had some knowledge of what he needed to do next, and that's be baptized. When we obey God, we overcome obstacles. We rely on the Holy Spirit. We have those regular life-giving conversations, and we point others to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of our uh, world, the lover of our souls, our Savior and our Lord Jesus. And we have those conversations, sharing the good news, leads us to our sixth point on your outline. Effective evangelism leads to obedience. So we started with obedience. Philip, as a follower of Jesus, his obedience to go where the Holy Spirit said go. Go down to the desert road. I'm going to show you where to go. But look at the obedience that happens here. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? So in their conversation that's summarized in verse 30, somewhere along the way, Philip had said to him, a mark of obedience of a believer, one of your next steps after you've trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord is to get baptized, to get baptized by immersion in the water, to be buried in Christ's likeness, to raise again and walk in newness of life, to symbolize through your burial under the water and your coming up out of the water that your old life is gone, that your new life has come. And that's exactly what they do. The eunuch says, let's stop the chariot. And he's baptized right then and there. When we obey God, we overcome obstacles. We see God at work and his preparation in the life of others. We point others to Jesus and it results in even more obedience. Leads us to our seventh point on your outline. Effective evangelism results in rejoicing. It results in rejoicing. If you've never had the opportunity to lead somebody to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, you ought to just try it. You probably already know the things you should say. You'd say, hey, Pastor, and I haven't been trained in sharing the gospel. You know your story. You know basic facts about the Bible and Jesus. You know that God loves us. You know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you know that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know the facts. You don't have to be perfect. You just be you. God's made you to be the only you there is. And you might be the only Jesus people in your life know. And you share the gospel with them and you see what happens. When somebody trusts Jesus as their Savior and Lord and you're there for it, it's like, whoa, because it's this holy moment where somebody crosses from death Eternal death and separation from God that will lead to hell, 
to life, eternal life, and a personal relationship with God who created them and knew them since they were born and knit them together in their mother's womb and can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or imagine in their life, who sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for them. And you're there for that moment? It's pretty amazing stuff. And it results in rejoicing. When they came up out of the water, verse 39 says, the Spirit suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled away preaching. Well, snatched Philip's way is, uh, you know, or carried him away. Was it a supersonic ride? Like, he got there super fast. Was it like, beam me up, Scotty, and he was in one place, then he appeared in the other place? Or did he just get there and the Holy Spirit, or the, you know, author of the book here, Luke, is using shorthand? I think it was like a beam me up, Scotty, sort of supernatural thing. I mean, that's what the scripture seems to indicate. He was here, he was there, instantaneously. That miracle aside, however, look at what it says. It says there that the eunuch, in the end of verse 39, went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. The point of our seventh point is not the beam me up Scotty thing, but it's the rejoicing. That salvation brings a change, an eternal change. Salvation in receiving the Holy Spirit brings hope. Salvation brings love. Salvation brings joy. Salvation brings love. Salvation brings a new perspective. Salvation brings rejoicing. We've seen these seven things that effective evangelism does, and we've seen Philip model them for us, but now we've got to consider our part. I've got five questions for us to consider applying the truths of this scripture for our lives. We've talked about obedience. We've talked about overcoming. We've talked about relying on the Holy Spirit. We've talked about talking and having conversations. We've talked about sharing the gospel with others. But let's apply it personally where the rubber meets the road here. It might be a little uncomfortable for you and for me, but let's go for it. Your first question there is, who do I need to share the gospel with? Who do you know in your life right now that you know that they're lost and if they were to die today, they'd go to hell? Who do you know in your life right now that you don't know if they're a believer in Jesus? You don't know if they're lost or if they're saved. It kind of looked like they're a Christian, but then again, they kind of don't. And you're not sure about it. You need to have a conversation with them. Who do you know? Not everyone you know is saved. Not everyone I know is saved. Matter of fact, statistics tell us a very small percentage of people we know is actually saved and has already placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We need to talk about Jesus in our life. Our second question, how will I pray for that person? Yes, I'm asking you to have a conversation with them. But here's the thing you start doing right now if you haven't done it already. That's pray for them. Pray for them every day. Pray for them every time God brings them to your mind. Pray for them that they would have the preparation of the Holy Spirit. That they'd turn to the Bible and read. That they'd have other believers in Jesus share the gospel with them. That they'd be in circumstances in their life that make them go, I wonder if God is trying to teach me for something through this. That they would be prepared just like the Ethiopian eunuch when Philip shows up was ready to receive the gospel because God by his Holy Spirit had been working in the eunuch's life. You pray for the persons in your life that way. Ask your family members to pray for them and don't stop praying. Here's the cool thing about prayer. 
When you're praying for somebody who's not a believer in Jesus, you know what you're doing? You are partnering with the eternal God of the universe who desires that all people come to faith in Jesus, that everyone would be saved. And you're asking Him to do what He wants to do already. And God's going to honor that in you. And God's going to honor that of that person, that they might be saved. Let's talk about our third question here. How do I see the Holy Spirit working in their lives? Because as you're having conversations, because many times it's not one conversation, it might be a series of conversations over weeks, over months, over years, even over decades. And as you're praying for them over weeks, over months, over years, even over decades, what you want to do is look for the Spirit at work. We use the phrase watch and pray, but we ought to reverse those and say pray and watch. That we pray and ask God to work, but that we also ask God, God, show me when you are working in their life so I can go, hey, here's where God's working. Here's an opportunity for me to share a biblical truth. Here's an opportunity for me to have a conversation. Here's an opportunity for me to ask questions in order to lead them to eternal faith in Jesus. How do I see the Holy Spirit at work in their lives? Trust me, He is. You just need to ask God to show you. You need to have your Spiritual antennas, if you will, tuned in so you can see, ah, look, God's working in that person's life over there. I need to find time to have a conversation with them real soon. Many times the way God works in people's life is through negative circumstances, hard things, hurtful things that we go, oh man, that's terrible. And we write them a note on Facebook or whatever. But you know what you need to do beyond write them a note? I'm sorry about that, is have a personal conversation with them and seek kindly to find out where they see God is at work in that in their life and bring your perspective, an eternal perspective, a biblical perspective, a perspective informed by the Holy Spirit into their life. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. The Bible says in James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without reproach. Say, God, give me the wisdom to see you at work in my friends' lives so that I can have the kind of conversation that would lead them to faith in Jesus. Your fourth question, when's the next time I can share the gospel with them? When's the next time you have a chance? When's the next time you're going to see them? Do you need to make that appointment? Do you need to say, hey, let's get together? You could say, "Um, pastor, if you'd shut up preaching, I'll go outside right now and call them. That'd be totally cool, man. If you're so convicted about your need to share the gospel with somebody... If at the moment I say amen from my prayer here in a couple seconds, you just walk out the door and you call up your friend and say, hey, when can we get together? I got something I want to talk to you about. Our friends that do multi-level marketing were good at this, right? They want to, they love you and they have a plan for your life. But do we share that story of God's love that way with such enthusiasm, with such fervor that we can't wait to tell them? When's the next time you can share the gospel with that person you're thinking about? And your fifth and final question there. This is the hard one. If I do not share the gospel with them, who will? Ouch. Really? Seriously? Yeah. God in His sovereign love created that person in His image for eternity. And you and I have a part to play in their lives. To share the story of God's great love and grace and forgiveness and hope and joy in eternity with them. To talk about Jesus in your life. 
talk about Jesus in their life. Anything effective in the kingdom of God begins with obedience. Anything great for the kingdom of God begins with obedience. Anything only God can do begins with the obedience of the Christ follower to do what God says. Anything God-sized, even changing the hardest heart, transforming the most gone life, begins with obedience. We obey because we love. We share because He first loved us. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we come before you today with the words of this Scripture in our minds, in our hearts. We're challenged to consider our lives. That most of us here, in the sound of my voice, have been privileged to come to know Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord at some point in our past. And there's others that you desire for us to share that good news of Jesus with. Father, give us faith. Give us obedience. Give us a boldness that we might speak the words of truth and love. And Father, if there's anyone here that's never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, and they've heard me talking about sharing that good news with others, would they say, hey, I need to receive the good news today. God, would they do that today? They may not have all their questions answered, but they know God loves them. They know that Jesus has saved them, and they just need to say they want to follow him. God, we thank you for your presence among us. As we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, we ask that you'd search our hearts, and as you reveal things we need to confess, we would humbly and freely confess those to you, that we might be prepared to receive this supper in remembrance of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. But we would do it in a worthy manner, full of worship and humility. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.